This is the Life and Soul podcast with me, Emma Forbes. 2020 really was an eventful year, and amidst the madness, we've all had time to reflect on what we most appreciate in life. And although we're still surrounded by uncertainty, it's important to be reminded of what really matters. I'm going to be asking some fabulous guests what makes them tick, asking them what really gives them life and what really feeds their soul. So join me for some nuggets of wisdom, a moment to breathe, and above all, a good old chat over a virtual cup of tea. And I hope that by listening, you'll leave feeling a little brighter about the year ahead. I'm joined today by somebody I'm a massive fan of. She's a cook, a writer, the voice, I would say, of modern vegetarian cooking. She's the author of so many books, A Modern Way to Eat, A Modern Way to Cook, The Modern Cook's Year, and most recently, her amazing new book out called One. I have all of them, I have to say, in my shelves. And she's been described as the kind of cook who makes you want to eat vegetarian food, even if you aren't vegetarian. And Anna Jones, I would say that's exactly a very good description of you. Oh, well, thank you. That is such a generous introduction. And yeah, that's always been my challenge, getting the, you know, the meat eaters amongst my friends to kind of eat my food and at the end be like, yeah, actually, I really enjoyed that, you know. (laughs) You were one of those sort of pioneers that did change that because on this podcast, I've obviously interviewed people from all sort of walks of the food life, if you like. And it is that tagging of people's way they like to eat that, that annoys mm. people is it? and vegetarianism mm. is one of them you know if you're vegetarian like oh you're not you know you're never going to get enough protein and you know what about meat and if we were cavemen we ate you know this that and I guess really because you've been doing it for such a long time and I know you've been a you know you're a, a, a columnist for the Guardian and and you write all sorts of food articles on it it is quite a hard challenge isn't it to make people realize that you can eat really well in all sorts of forms vegetarian being one of them absolutely and i think you know this is how i love to eat this is what works for me what works for my body what works for my family and the kickback is also that it's pretty low impact on the planet but i think we all just have to make decisions for where we are for the things that we can do for the changes that you know we can make but yeah definitely i think one of the things i really wanted to do when I started writing my books was to kind of sort of drag vegetarianism sort of somewhat kicking and screaming away from the kind of you know sort of mung bean hemp cafe sort of territory because actually vegetarian food is multifaceted it's delicious it's it's obviously I'm not in any way bringing this to the fore it's been part of cultures and 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 ancient civilizations for forever and ever and ever so it's all there I think it's just tapping into it into the right way and I think it it somehow developed this reputation which made it seem ungenerous uh, you know and unexciting for a while. I always describe it as sort of like uncolorful it was like if you went to a vegetarian restaurant it would be it would be sort of like a dark restaurant. It had, it just had a visual with it that didn't justify its name because actually if you're vegetarian and actually if you look at your beautiful books, they're colorful, they're, you know, vegetables are like a rainbow of color. It's, it's like you can eat so much more colorful actually than just eating meat and eating a regular diet. Like it is a really varied, delicious way to eat. When did you become a vegetarian? Was there a reason why you became it? Um, that I guess there was. It was about 11 years ago now. So I was working for Jamie Oliver at the time. I used to help him 
with his books and recipe writing and, and that kind of thing. I'd been working there for a while, for about seven years, and I, I'd been cooking a lot day in, day out. And I think I just got to that point where I just felt a bit like sick of cooking and eating. And it, it felt really weird to me because that's always been the thing that kind of lit me up, that got me going from, from when I was a little girl. Um, so I just wanted to kind of pull things back a bit, kind of almost reset my palate, reset my kind of um, process around food. So I just decided to give up meat, fish, dairy, and just kind of have a very sort of clean slate, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I just haven't looked back. Um, I think I found it really exciting to eat that way. I felt like it worked much better for my body. I felt like my digestion, my health, you know, I lost weight. That wasn't the aim, but, you know, it was kind yeah, of a side, a side effect. Line in terms of cooking and my creativity, it just kind of opened up this sort of new world really for me, where I, I think I'd been sort of cooking a bit like we all do on autopilot. I had all these dishes that, you know, I knew I could make at home and the way that I guess I'd been brought up cooking, which was like meat, two veg, or, you know, or, yeah. or, or, or sort of building a meal around what kind of protein was going to be at the center of it. And instead I was cooking much more based around nuance, based around mood, based around, you know, the part of the world I wanted to travel to. Yeah, it seemed more exciting to me. Well, I think that's that's been very much the theme when I've spoken to other people and indeed in my own life, like if you eat, and I guess actually during lockdown, because obviously we have to bring down the whole pandemic thing, is it is it sort of almost educated a lot of us on how to eat in the moment, in season, what was available? Because in that very first lockdown, you know, I was only getting food delivery. I wasn't in a supermarket choosing out of season courgettes or picking up, you know, bags of salad that perhaps weren't in season. I basically, there was a local shop here and I would say, what do you have this week? And they put together like a farm box. And it actually reignited, if you like, my passion for cooking because I never knew what I was getting. And I'm such a control freak. I'd always gone into a supermarket and thought, no, I want to cook with broccoli. Why don't they have broccoli? Why don't and it made me kind of go, actually, it's really nice. I've tried things like rainbow chard. Yeah, I've never amazing. even really done anything that. I was like, that's one of the world's most beautiful vegetables. I was it like, is. what is this? This is amazing. It's neon, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's neon and it's incredible. So I think that you're right. Part of it is an education. Part of it is a, I guess, as well as sort of responsibility. It is healthier for the planet. So in lockdown, it must have sort of helped that even further. When I was reading, you know, up on you, you did say that you've actually sat down in lockdown for three meals a day as opposed to normally like the one or two. And I guess that's true of a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, I think it has been. I've, I've cooked, even as a professional cook, I've probably cooked more this year than I ever have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone's experiencing that. You know, I think quite a lot of people are really ready for restaurants to open. And, I was going to say, <laughs> I've cooked so much. I literally dream of being cooked anything. I used to dream about going to a restaurant and having something really exotic and different. I would be so happy if I went to somebody's house and they even made me breakfast that I hadn't had to Absolutely. make. I would just Pe be like, how fab. It doesn't have to be fancy. <laughs> I just don't want to wash it up. I don't want to put it in the dishwasher. I don't want to kind of chop the tomatoes. I don't want to do any of that. I just want something. Yeah. Anyway. And, and you know what this year has been, I think, really there's been so many challenges but one of the things I have loved is that my family have sat down for breakfast lunch and dinner you know and my son who's five been around and it's yeah. been it that's actually been a lovely thing I think and it's we never used to manage to sit down at sort of five or five thirty altogether. he's still quite young so obviously we do dinner quite early but 
I think that's something that we will kind of keep up and it's I think it slowed us all down we were me and my husband we were always so busy rushing from here to there and one of us might be finished to pick him up from school but the other one wouldn't and it just I, I think that sort of like just reliability within our life and that kind of family rhythm I think has been something that I've really enjoyed this year that's true of a lot of people and I think it made people go gosh you know I mean particularly living in America where fast food is such a if I look back now at my friends you know that sort of family dinner or friends dinners didn't really Mm -hmm. happen Mm -hmm. you know particularly living in New York it would just be like oh Anna's coming for dinner. She's bringing her five-year-old. He'd just love to have kind of sushi. Anna loves it. And people, it, it was like everybody just sort of, like the, the, the whole sort of joy of it had gone. It was like a kind of fast thing that you organized, you sorted, it was done, mm, it was this, and mm. it has given that. And of course, all the trends I'd bought into the banana bread. I've made so many banana bread, I can barely <laughs> eat it again. But I did read that you did the one thing I didn't do because I'm really bad at bread making. You did do the sourdough baby, growing your little sourdough oh, baby. Oh, yeah, I did do the sourdough baby. I actually did a fantastic sourdough course about two years ago uh, with a woman called Martha DeLacy, who's a bonkers, brilliant baker here in London. And so yeah. whilst I'd done it before, I'd learned in my sort of chefing years how to do it. I'd kind of forgotten. And she just has a, a brilliant method of kind of doing it over, over a day. So I, I kind of got really back into that I was actually living with my mum and dad because we were having our house renovated in the first lockdown which was an adventure in itself um yeah. no stress there <laughs> um, then <laughs> yeah so it was my mum my dad my husband my son and I so we were we were wow. so there was quite a few people for dinner we were eating a lot of bread so I was <laughs> bread <laughs> I know I never did that and I think the reason somebody said to me god you of all people why did you not make bread and I said because once years ago and I now don't know why I went and did like this three-day baking course because I've always loved cooking and I just it was just like a three-day thing and it was organized by that shop I don't even know if it exists in England anymore called Divertimenti it was like mm, a cook mm, shop mm, mm. And they used to have That's this basement shop. and they'd get in incredible people and you'd sort of just sign up for these day things. And I learned how to make brioche, croissant and sourdough. <gasps> and all I remember is it took such a faff. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, my God, I had no idea that there was an entire stick of butter in one croissant. Like I was horrified at how much it, butter it was I was rolling in. <laughs> I was thinking, no wonder that tastes so good. Brioche was another thing that I couldn't get right. And I think I did, I just wasn't successful with the sourdough. So it slightly put me off and I've never mm. really done it again. And that's that's why I didn't get into the sourdough mm. baby. But the banana bread. I, I'd take banana bread over sourdough any day of the week anyway. So yeah, well, I didn't mean, I think I'd, I'd like a change. But going back to like your sort of, you know, cooking years and what you did, I mean, you were also part of Jamie Oliver's 15, that, that amazing nonprofit restaurant that he started up to train you know unemployed candidates you know it it was such a again that was such an innovative incredible thing to do and I've interviewed Jamie and I can think of nobody more exciting if you like better language than Gordon Ramsay Um, (laughs) but it must have been very exciting to work for somebody like Jamie. Oh it was so exciting and I feel very privileged for lots of reasons he gave me some incredible opportunities and as so supportive to this day he's he's a great guy but yeah um that 
particular time where I was working for Jamie it was just before he did the kind of school dinners thing I did 15 but then I went to work for him personally for seven years helping with the books and stuff so yeah I went to work in his office just before they did school dinners so it was this wonderful incredible growth period for his business and everyone kind of wanted Jamie it was when he was really just sort of skyrocketing it was just the most incredible education in it's always of- really fun to work for people I, I that's why I was sort of looking at it I was thinking it's so fun to work for people at that sort of point if you like like you, you, if you're going to pick a really good point when you could have worked with Jamie I think you got the sort of that that peak of it absolutely it was incredible and um you know I think the way he was using food as a powerful tool for change was an incredibly innovative thing to do actually I don't think there's you know I know there's lots of campaigners and and brilliant people who work doing that kind of thing but it was the first time I'd really seen someone in in the public eye really using their influence in such a hugely positive way it was brilliant to be a part of and as you know from interviews him he's he's just he's a fun he's a fun guy and it was fun yeah and and there's no cooking jobs in the world like that I mean I got to fly around the world with him and go to kind of Australia go to American Indian reservations in Arizona got to go kind of to these crazy places to film his tv shows and it's not something you know even if I wanted to pay a million pounds for those opportunities I couldn't do it so I feel feel hugely privileged to have been a part of it yeah no I think that must have been just such an exciting time and you talk about and particularly in your new book you know about the planet and I guess that's where we've known about vegetarian food we know about vegan we know about keto there's a lot of kind of different styles of eating out there and gluten-free and everything but the planet connection I feel like is the next step because I think, and I include myself on this, I still don't think people make the connection enough about the planet and how that affects how we eat and and the actual food chain. When I've looked into it, I I had exactly the same sort of realisations a few years ago when I really started um, researching into it. And the biggest piece of the pie in terms of our carbon footprint is the food we eat. There's nothing else we do that has a bigger chunk of our kind of carbon emissions. And that was surprising to me. But also it's kind of good news because it is the one thing we also have quite a lot of control over. And the changes are reasonably easy to make and also are kind of approachable. It's not like investing in an electric car, which is completely financially prohibitive to so many people. The small changes you can make, I think it's, for me, it's all about starting from where you are, not looking back, not thinking, oh God, I haven't done this or I haven't been perfect. Not trying to be, you know, a perfect kind of sustainability So what are the ch- what are the changes you think people People could make that are small that would because I, I think I really do believe now that there, there, there's you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that doesn't care about the planet and wouldn't like to make some kind of change that they felt they were doing something so what what would you recommend as a change well the biggest thing that we can do is put vegetables kind of at the center of our plates and at the center of how we eat that's widely regarded by all the scientists as the most impactful change that we can make not just in food but across the board so um you know whether that means you know 
fine tuning your vegan diet or just eating a couple of meals per week without meat it's all about doing what is achievable for you And, and the second biggest thing is waste so another thing that's quite easy to fix actually we throw away well in the UK we throw away a third of the food that we buy on a household level do we really yeah it's absolutely bonkers and I think there's there's a there's a sort of worldwide stat that if food waste was a country it would be the third biggest emitter of greenhouse gases after the USA and China that's kind of the size of the problem it's absolutely bonkers and I don't say those things to scare people but those changes are quite easy it's simple if you buy food don't overbuy it don't be tempted by the two for ones that you're not going to get through buy the amount that you yeah. need for your family and just do a quick visual stock take of your pantry or cupboard of your fridge before you go out and make sure you're using up what you've got um and that's a really really important thing other things I would say are, you know, trying to just eat, as you say, like a, a big rainbow of fruit and vegetables, but also a rainbow of grains, of pulses, because the more plants, we, at the moment we rely on seven crops, basically, for, to feed yeah. most of the world. And there's tens of thousands of crops and all these amazing, exciting, different varieties. So trying to vary things will help biodiversity. So it helps, it will help take care of the soil um, and it will help, you know, just take pressure off our sort of agricultural system so I mean there's 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 so many things we can do little things you can do yeah I really like to sort of try and approach it from a really positive place I think I say in the introduction to the book we make 30,000 decisions every day and so that's a huge amount of opportunities every day for positive change. So, yeah. you know, it's not about what you haven't done. It's not about what you can't do, because I know we're all in different financial and, you know, different yeah. kind of family positions. And th- there are some things we change. There are some things we can't. But just making a few positive changes a day is a brilliant step in the right direction. No, I agree. And I think also with your with your new book, I loved and I guess it helps with the whole sort of pantry cooking and and, and I've thought about that, you know, I'm always sort of doing what I call my Sunday night cooking the fridge, like in whatever yeah. shape or form you can, like <laughs> emptying the fridge out and making something in it in one pot. And I love that you do one pot cooking, because I think, again, what people have learned during lockdown is that that is a joy. It's something that you don't Absolutely. have to use 15,000 pots. I bought my husband for Christmas. I got him this there was this very clever website and I, and he can't cook at all. I mean, he's never cooked anything, but he loves tiramisu. And I, there was a, like you could buy an online cooking lesson with a chef. Wow. And she was this sweet girl and she was in Italy. It's from all over the world. So you can do it. And I said, he'd love I to do love tiramisu that. because he would think that's great. But the amount of pots and pans <laughs> and the sous chef that I was, I was just like, no, I am all about the one pot dessert. I, I mean, it was like, my, my kitchen was like, carnage it was just just like and he was like you know that was really quite easy to cook and I said but I was working like behind you doing the washing up getting things ready make I mean it was hilarious but it was it was a fun thing to do and again I guess that's a a benefit of lockdown you know I'm married to a businessman that would never have done something Mm. like or never Mm. have had the time to do that and I think that maybe we're all going to be more conscious Maybe the good of COVID, one of the, let's hope, many good things that might come of it are that we, we we have a bit more of a conscience about it. Maybe we are thinking more about what we eat and taking time to eat. And I guess in conjunction with that is I do think people have thought more about their health. And yeah, I know here in America, they've they've done a big thing actually in the past few weeks about the fact that even if you went 
plant-based two days a week even you don't have to like make a huge commitment to it but even doing it for a couple of days a week where you try just not having meat and, mm. and, and everything it makes a massive difference yeah it absolutely does and I, I I think that's such a positive thing whether it's one day a week two days a week one meal a day maybe you yeah. just if you used to have a bacon sandwich just don't have your bacon sandwich make sure your breakfast or your lunch is plant-based so it's it's all about working it around how you live I think and yeah I, I totally agree with you on the sort of shift that's happened this year I mean I don't think any of us would have thought that I wouldn't have thought in my lifetime I would have trouble getting my hands on a bag of flour or an egg for instance no. and I think it has hopefully reignited a connection for people with you know actually how important food is the food system well I think how important it is and the, and the food system and like for me it was also about sort of shopping local and supporting mm. farmers and things because I guess you know we, we have these incredible supermarkets that, that that are amazing and there's sort of abundance of food everywhere and it was when I sort of stepped slightly out of that because where I am there isn't that Mm. And so I was sort of going to farm shops and things like that. And, and, and I guess looking at the food more, we're so used mm. to just getting it and, and it's all perfect. I've sort of also mm. learned how much more I love imperfect fruit and vegetables. Absolutely. Isn't that awful? I used to, because I used to love, particularly in America, you know, you go in and apples on display. It's like yeah, being super in Super shiny. White. I know. Oh my God, they're, <laughs> they're, like, they're like waxy, shiny, and like everything is larger than life. And then I thought actually, but they, half the time don't taste like anything and now mm, you know mm. there's a farm shop I go to they've got 50 different varieties of apples Amazing. I've eaten my way through most of them let me tell you <laughs> number number 42 is my favorite slightly sharp not too sour and I was like oh my god I never knew that all of this even really existed I guess absolutely and I think that is another amazing thing that's come out of this year I think it's connected people with farmers a bit more there's a brilliant organization in the UK called Farms to Feed Us which is this amazing database of all the farmers near you and the ones that will supply directly to you and there's all this incredible produce that used to be coming to us through the restaurants and it's actually available to us now which is incredible but I'm so with you I, I I feel like you know these incredible fruits and vegetables that are native to, to the US or to the UK that you know we're eating one apple apple isn't isn't a tiny little sort of flavor that we think it is it's this ginormous spectrum of flavors yes. and it's actually so obviously food's my thing but I find it so exciting I find yeah. it so creative as well no I, I love it the only thing that's driven me mad here is the fact that watercress seems to be something that is like a it's like it's like gold it's like finding a gold <laughs> bar here and I finally went to this a really lovely provision store near me in a town and they occasionally get in two bags of watercress and I went up to the guy because I've obviously got to know them quite well during lockdown I said <laughs> what is it about watercress and he said well to be honest he said you're the only person that buys it he said we don't really know what to do with it because here it comes living it's great it comes with the soil attached yeah, it's like yeah, incredible yeah. And he said, we don't really know what to do with that. I said, well, but I make watercress soup. And he was like, oh, my God, I'd like, no, I could do that. And now I get a phone call from him. He goes, I got three bags. It's like I found this like little secret trade. Oh, I love it. I love you it. You don't find that here. And it's so funny. You sort of the things that you can find that you can't find. And there's things that I long for, like English peas. I'm longing for like proper yeah. English peas. You don't oh, get English delicious. peas here either. That doesn't really exist. Yeah, they, it doesn't actually. I Now thinking back to my time in America, no. I just don't remember seeing peas in the pod in the same no, way. No, you don't see um, peas in the pod. And even when you buy 
frozen peas. This is not an ad. I wish I was sponsored by bird's eye, but I've been even <laughs> buying like bird's eye peas. They tasted really good. And here, yeah. peas, even when you defrost them, they're a little bit shriveled and they're just not, oh. it's not the pea well, that I, I remember. I, I know what to bring you, Emma. If yes. I, I know what to send you for Christmas, peas and watercress. Subtle hint. <laughs> Anybody listening to me from England, I'd like peas and watercress, please, sent over. A-S-A-P. Um, but the other thing that you were talking about, and um, Again, I really resonate this with, and I think that other people do as well, because obviously when I've been doing these interviews, I've chatted to people about where they've found solace during lockdown or what their sort of, you know, downtime has been or what they found pleasure in doing. And, and you found solace in doing things like peeling fruit and vegetables. And I, I really resonated with that because <laughs> I love chopping stuff for soup. Like to me that if I'm stressed, okay, that's like a good kind of de-stress. I've made so much soup. It's like, it's but, but that is sort of what you like it, doing some of those very kind of repetitive kitchen tasks I actually really love you know the like peeling for some reason I love peeling potatoes carrots it's that kind of just repetitive action yeah. but the same I love chopping and making big pots of soup and it just there's something about it I guess I'm quite a busy person like you I've always got something going on or a, yeah. another project on the go so I sort of almost need something to do with my hands to calm myself down I need something physical you know so yeah I, I find a lot of kind of quiet in the kitchen and I'll put a podcast on or some music and yeah you could, you could get lost in it yeah exactly and what do you think I mean it's a huge question but you know you said you loved New York and I was saying to you before we started recording you know I get very sad when I go into Manhattan because mm. obviously having moved here three years ago what I loved about it was the vibrancy the, mm. the, the the different ways you could eat the different restaurants and they weren't huge but they were crammed and there was atmosphere and the same goes for London and any big city. But I wondered what you thought would happen post this or if we have to live with this like this, how restaurants are. It's not about them surviving because I think many of them won't survive. But I wonder mm. how it'll actually change how we go to a restaurant and eat. That's such an interesting question. And I think it definitely will. It's, it, it, it's going to change how we go to restaurants and eat, even in that little chunk of time between lockdowns here in the UK, where we were able to go to restaurants. You know, I was going into these restaurants that used to be packed with people and there was three or four yeah. tables. Um, and of course, or I that whole farm to table thing. I love those. Yeah you know, communal dining. And that sharing yeah. food, that family style where everything's put in the middle and you're all sharing. And yeah. obviously if you are a family, that's okay. But lots of different friends on a table. I just don't know if people are going to be okay with that anymore. Um, so I think it is definitely going to shift how we eat. I really think this sort of, um, this new way of eating restaurant food at home is I think going to carry on and I think going to become yeah. a big part of how restaurants kind of keep themselves going because I think people have really enjoyed being able to order that incredible sort of restaurant style food into their own homes and I think that will just extend now and I think maybe people will start entertaining at home but ordering in restaurant food maybe in a different way so they can have a more relaxed I thought atmosphere. about that though but then what's the because I think some restaurants have been amazing at that yeah. and like my new sort of go-to birthday gift is to send somebody an incredible takeout from someone yeah. which I guess yeah. is something I'd never done before but then what's the point in having your premise what's the point in having you know your restaurant if it's empty but you're using the kitchens mm. to mm. send out takeout I just don't know how that's going to work mm. really and I was mm. thinking 
it's such a shame in a way because I have seen amazing innovative things. I mean, out mm -hmm. here, it's been freezing in the winter and there's this one restaurant and they really tried. They did these sort of outside. It's the only restaurant I went to and they built it outside. It's on the ocean, but it's pitch black. So you can't see the ocean at mm -hmm. night. <laughs> and they've done these like round little fire pits. They'd sort of built these pods, if you like, with perspex around mm -hmm. them and, and big blankets on wicker seats. It was so beautifully done. But we sat mm -hmm. there. We were so cold. It was like minus three the <laughs> night we went. You know, there's some poor guy that comes over. He's in the full, you know, PPE kit and mm -hmm. shields and all the rest of it, freezing, right? We had to order mm -hmm. it digitally. So there's no looking at a menu, which I mm -hmm. personally physically I loved love looking at a too. menu. Yeah. I know that sounds, probably my kids would say, mum, you sound 180, but I like physically no, holding a piece of paper. I don't gorgeous. want to digitally do something. I collect menus. I bring them home. I yes, love and them. They're, and they're pretty. And I want to sit and say, oh, my God, Anna, are you going to have the yeah. arugula with it? You know? and, in, and instead, the, you know, I'm sort of handed a phone and I'm trying to sort of download the app for the menu. And I was like, and then it was so cold. My husband went, should we get like, chamomile tea I was like what with a salad I mean we literally <laughs> had the most random meal they served it with plastic cutlery because oh they were goodness. worried about everything else we were in and out in like 35 minutes and we all kind of drove home in silence and I said oh my god that's made me so sad like that's oh made goodness. me because they they really had tried mm. to mm. give you an experience but it's it's hard. I mean, outdoor dining is great, but you've got to live in LA sunshine. Yeah, you've got to be yeah. in the Caribbean. You can't be in places like you and I live. You can't be in London and expect to be able to eat outside with fairy lights every day. No, you can't. And I think I, I actually, the two restaurants I went to in the small amount of time that I could this year were both outside restaurants and um, yeah. both places I love and did it fantastically, actually. But, you know, they've reduced the amount of people that they were serving but to a quarter of what they were serving before it is really tough I really enjoyed that experience but and I think they did a fantastic job of it but there's only certain restaurants that can pivot to that outside dining and there's all these you know if you think about Manhattan or about central London there's all these wonderful restaurants and the whole energy of these restaurants is that they're kind of dark and dingy and candlelit and yes. kind of very um yes. you know they've got that sort of vibe they've got that kind of I don't know Shoreditch vibe or you know that totally that that kind of like downtown Manhattan feeling and those are the restaurants I do really fear for I them. really feel for them because actually you're right there's one downtown restaurant that, that we used to love and you had to go through like you know those sort of old-fashioned like the plastic curtains you mm. had to kind of like shift your way in and when you got in it was super dark and super crammed like you were virtually communal dining without communal yeah. dining <laughs> and but it was a real treat and I thought oh my god would I Maybe that will still exist, but with two tables instead mm. of 10. And would that mm. be fun? Would it like, feel is, the same? Yeah. You know, is it worth me doing that? Or if they're doing takeout, would I just get the takeout from them and Absolutely. just have it in my own home? And it does feel sad, but I do feel, I feel just so proud of my friends yeah. in food with restaurants. I feel like of the 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 lengths at oh, which people incredible. have gone to to kind of yeah. like change their businesses, to keep their staff employed, to kind of... In days, people have changed their business from a sit-down restaurant to a kind of delivery service. And I just, I honestly, it, it has, I, I've always said it, but I think food people are some of the best people. They just have such a commitment and a love yes. for what they do. There's such a passion and it shows mm. in it. And I'm totally with you. I think I have been blown away by the innovative, if you like,
So your new book is out. Do you love writing books? Are you going to write more after this one? What's the sort of plan? Well, yeah, I do. I do really love writing books. I always, I'm, I'm kind of like a sort of quite an optimistic thinker. So I always think they're going to take me like sort of three or four months. And then I always do the sort of writing bit. And then I forget that there's actually another 25 different bits, you know, from shooting to recipe testing, to editing, to kind of, you know, those yeah. final copy edits. I think I have this very positive mindset. <laughs> so when I finish, I'm like, oh, that was easy. I'll just whip that up. But when I'm sort of towards the end of the editing process on sort of you know round 10 of edits usually I'm a bit like shall I I don't know if I can do this again did I want to um, do this yeah but no I really really love writing um I love I do all the kind of make all the food for the pictures and get all the plates and fabrics and stuff as well because I really love that visual side of it I feel like that's a the writing side of it sort of satisfies one creative side of my brain and that kind of visual aspect yeah. really satisfies the other side so it's it's a lovely thing for me and I love that space of a book where you have a bit more time to have a conversation you have some more words I you know I love all the social stuff I love Instagram but I feel like it's such an it's such an instant thing that I like yeah. having that space in the books to kind of really get across you know the food and the love I don't think you can beat a cookbook the one thing I love about my cookbooks is that is that they look loved like I love the fact that I can open a cookbook onto my favorite soup recipe and it's sort of covered in soup yeah um I think you can't beat that physical you can watch stuff on YouTube you can look at it on your Instagram you're right but actually when I look at my shelf of cookbooks it's, mm. it always gives me pleasure and then I get it down I'm like oh yes I've thumbed that recipe down that's a, a well-loved recipe and it's got a bit of yeah. egg and flour stuck on the corner Absolutely, and I think that's every cookbook writer's hope that you know that there's going to be egg there's going to be a bit of beetroot there's going to be some some flour on a page but I have to ask you my two final questions one of which yes, is the what gives you life oh my goodness well I think this year has made me realize more and more that it's actually it's community I think that gives me life um I think before this year, I was sort of darting around everywhere and never really stayed in one place. You know, not that I was traveling all over the world, but never stayed in one place long enough to really appreciate the community. But over the last year, I've really connected with lots of local neighbors and, you know, even in our just our walks around sort of seeing people and just knowing that there's this lovely community here where I live in, in Hackney in London um, that has been so supportive to everyone around here this year and I think food obviously is an enormous part of community we've got this wonderful woman who drives around and picks up donations from the food for the food bank every Monday she's coming she's coming in a bit I just think that really this year has given me just the most ginormous boost and I think it's something that I want to continue investing in continue being part of so yeah I would say that I think okay and what about what feeds your soul Oh my goodness. I love the sea. I just love the sea. I love seeing a horizon. I love swimming in the sea, kind of almost no matter how cold it is. Sometimes early February, I struggle with getting in, but in general, (laughs) in general, I really, really love the sea. My husband's a big surfer. He grew up in Anglesey up in North Wales, so surrounded by sea. And I feel like it is where I feel most at home, most at peace, most happy so one day one day when we're grown-ups we'll go and live by the sea exactly um, I'm very lucky I do live near the sea here mm. and there is not a moment 
in this crazy pandemic where I haven't sort of had a moment looking at there's something very hopeful about looking at the horizon as a sea you just think okay mm. this is maybe the world will be at peace so I couldn't agree with you more well I've loved chatting to you today Aww. I think your food is wonderful I think your straightforward comfort cooking the new book is sensational I love all of them Thank um you. I love your vegan millionaire shortbread oh um, yes that's a, that's a favorite <laughs> yeah absolute favorite of mine love that so much Aww. and So keep doing what you're doing and thank you for chatting to me today. Thank you. What a joy. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And also, if you've enjoyed this episode, do leave a five-star review and you can find out more by going to buyemma.co.